Hey, Sam. Hey, Julia. How's it going? <laughs> Pretty good. Who'd we talk to today? We talked to the actor Alex Gibson. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you do, you could rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks and enjoy. It's, it's funny because, like, this is a really good situation for me, but if I'm ever in, like, a bar or with people, mm. you just can't hear me. So I'm oh. like, hey, how are you doing? <laughs> and it's definitely translated to, like, my performing career because, like, I don't trust people can hear me. Because if, if we're on the street and I'm talking like this, it just becomes like, you know, just because of the frequency of the waves. This speaks to exactly, Sam and I always were like talking about how to ask people the question, what are you thinking about lately in a way that doesn't make them feel on the spot? And the thing that Mm. I've been thinking about lately is this exact sound frequency thing. This is newly on my radar. The idea that if you've got too much on top of each other, it can just mask the thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy that you think about that socially though, like in bars. Oh, absolutely. Well, really, I mean, I, I have... A very sensitive <laughs> voice and throat, and you know, I I think about screaming, and I and my cords are swollen. So it's like, oh boy. that was a joke. That wasn't real, <laughs> um, mostly. But so I definitely um, have had to really do a lot of trial and error with like how to maintain my voice during shows. Mm-hmm. And one of the things to say is like even like talking on the phone, you have to be careful. Yeah, because ah. most people talk on the phone, they're like, "Hey, mom." No, mm-hmm. no, I don't have that money. <laughs> you know, that conversation we all have with our mom. Yeah, yeah the inevitable, <laughs> the inevitable stealing money from mom. Do you think the reason that we force our voice on the phone is because we can't see the other person hearing us? That's exactly it, because we take so much of our um, cues about what's being said and how it's being said from physical, uh, sorry, from visual stimuli. So when you don't have that, you overcompensate. So on a podcast, <laughs> I would prove I'm making a funny voice by talking like this. <laughs> Is the other effect also true that if you can't hear well, you force your own voice because you just assume we're in a situation where no one can hear? Oh, yeah, totally. That's my thing. Like if I'm in a show and there's no monitor, mm-hmm. I just push and push because I can't hear myself. I have to push in order to hear myself. Yeah. You know? That's actually been a big thing in Octet because we have in-ears. And so when you're determining your own mix, you have to determine how much of yourself you want to hear. Because if, I don't remember what it is. If you don't hear enough of yourself, you might push. And if you hear too much of yourself, you're likely to be off pitch. Right. Oh, really? Because you can't hear the other stuff that you're matching to? Yeah, I think. Yeah, for me, like, I think there was one time when I was, like, very green for, like, recording stuff. And I put both. Um, sides of the headphones on my ears and I was just completely (laughs) rookie mistake and I I actually don't know why people do the half thing why why is that bad because you have to be able to sort of like hear like the world and not just yourself you know like you have to hear you have to hear what's coming through but you also have to hear what it actually sounds like in the world you know what I mean? Sam, you're such a king of <laughs> recording like demos what are you and like about? working on that kind of work. I well, feel you and I met recording a demo. Exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. What yeah. demo did you guys meet on? Um, uh, we were doing something for Seth Christenfeld and oh. James Ballard. We didn't meet doing the Joe Connor Navarro one? I've never met him. Oh, okay, so. never mind. I feel like every time I've done a recording, you've been there. 
like oh, in stop. my mind. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, isn't that we were doing that thing? Yes. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I was actually this was so as I was preparing questions for oh this interview, <laughs> I wanted to bring that up because we met doing this like random like demo recording of one song. Yeah. Um, it was you and I and one other guy, and then James, the composer, was also singing. It was like this four-part quartet song. Yeah. Who is that other person? Well, that's the thing that I want to talk about is like, oh, no. like I met you that day, and like since then, we've become like friends. Yeah. Like, we see each other, and like when we see each other, it's like we're happy to see each other. Yes, absolutely. You're coming to do my podcast. Hell yeah. The other guy, I don't remember he's listening to this right he now probably is crying. but it's just like we he's like so we never became facebook friends for whatever reason like yeah. I, he's sort of like he's sort of like um gone out of my consciousness he's and you know listening if, crying or in like two years he's winning a tony and we looked up yeah 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 well that's real well <laughs> and like you know if like i if i met him again and he was like oh well, i think we met doing that recording or whatever i'd be like oh right oh, okay yes like um Cause like, I remembered that we did it. I just like, haven't, he hasn't entered my like world the yeah. way that you have. Aww, you know what I mean? Stop. So like, do you, like, <laughs> is it, but it, like, isn't that an interesting thing about this business that like, oh, yeah. we met, we spent literally an hour in a room together and it like now we're friends, but yeah. I also spent an hour in a room with this other person and he's completely gone. I think that. Uh, so much of that is about social media. I think about social media way too much. And so I'm, do I. I'm You're probably right like a uh, grandpa about it. Because, <laughs> because the other thing is like the kids who are coming up with it, the Gen, is, Gen Zers, like they don't think about it. It's just what they do. And anytime right, you try so to be too to calculating, you're, you're done. Yeah. Mm. But um, whenever I talk to actor friends about social media and people who are like, uh, why don't I, like I need to get this many followers to blah, 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 blah. Um, my kind of like theory on the thing isn't that for actors, the point is to get a lot of followers uh, in some cases, but the best use of it is that we meet so many people and you end up working collaboratively with so many people in such a quick way that social media is that thing where you see their face, something about them, something they're thinking just every once in a while, doesn't have to be all the time, but then you feel like they're still a part of your life and you've kept up with them. And it's crazy how many jobs I've gotten just because someone who I worked with a year ago was like, oh, yeah, we were looking for someone who did this and this, and I remembered your name. And then they also have a way to get in contact with you. Right. And suddenly you have this kind of relationship. And it's it's not like you and I have spent a bunch of time together, but it is that like social media thing where you see the person every once in a while. Right. And so it feels like you see them in real life every once in a while. Right. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I'm but excited like, to defend you after this episode. <laughs> oh my god, it's it's a lot, a lot of dad jokes. <laughs> I love a dad joke. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it the whole thing just like the whole thing just like boggles my mind. In what way? Just that like, just the very fact that like we met doing this like one hour thing, mm. and like I feel so comfortable with you and like this other person I don't remember you know what I mean and like I feel like that I like I'm I'm wondering if there's any I mean you think it's just because we became Facebook friends and he and I didn't honestly probably yeah okay I mean beyond that I think there's also like you know you seem like a really cool guy I enjoy sharing your thoughts you know like there's thank you I was fishing for compliments you are (laughs) why do you like me is my question (laughs) Uh, change the name of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, I'm ready. Uh, but no, I mean, there's a thing. It's like, okay, so it's a certain like personality check works. But yeah, I yeah. think if he had been your Facebook friend, you probably would know his name now. Yeah. Even if you never interacted with him again. Right. That's my theorem. But does he have to be a little bit good at Facebooking or just literally making the connection will do it? Um, he just needs to do stuff occasionally on the okay. medium. How low do you think the bar is before it's like, okay, you made some sort of impression you're out there versus like, like how bad does your Facebooking have to be before it's hurting <laughs> you instead of helping you? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, first of all, I think... Okay, <laughs> radical thoughts. Ready? Number one, Facebook is dead. It is dead. Facebook is lame. Oh, wait, I know. How old I are have you been again? worrying that this I'm might 26. be the case. Right, okay. So yeah. both of us are a little older than you. Uh. And so I think <laughs> so about that too is like, am I on a dead, <laughs> am I on a dead social media platform? I mean. Because for me, Facebook isn't dead. Okay, so talk to me about that. What what do you feel like you're well, getting like, from it? In, like, well, that's well. I feel like I'm getting <laughs> what I always got from it. Yeah, when people were calling it alive, <laughs> that's real. Um, but uh, but I maybe I'm just like too old to like make the leap to the like more hip platforms. Can we even check in? So like, I've noticed that like more is going on to our Instagram and Twitter. Those are still alive, yeah. right? Oh, then, those are thriving. Okay. <laughs> Is there an even newer one that we don't know about? Um, probably. I mean, when's the last time you were on TikTok? Exactly. Think. I've never been on TikTok, but it, the kids, the kids love the TikTok. You know, Alex, what better than me. Is, is he punking one? us? Is TikTok a real no. thing? Oh, I've, he- I've heard the word TikTok. <laughs> okay. But I don't, is it a music one? Um, I think. I okay. just think that because of Kesha. I feel. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Because isn't it spelled the same way? Yeah, it's spelled the same way. <laughs> um, okay, yeah, Sam knows what it is. I, it's, um, it's I think, like a Vine equivalent. Oh. Kind of. But I also don't use it, so I don't know. Hmm. But like, um, Also, like, me, Snapchat. Okay, right. The kids are on Snapchat. Yeah. The thing for me is that, like, Facebook, for me, feels like the only one to actually create a community because there can be sort of back and forth in a way that to me makes sense. And the back and forth on Instagram and on Twitter is so um, uh, disconnected in a way. Like, I don't know. And like, I guess like you can read through a thread now or whatever, but for me, it still feels very disjointed. Whereas on Facebook, you can make a post and then you can have this whole like comment section um, that feels all of one. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally feel that. And mm-hmm. I think part of that is just also that, like, a lot of people are not in communities where that kind of discussion is mm-hmm. one that they want to have. Mm-hmm. Or that, like, I like the first Facebook fight I ever had was really fun, you know, because, like, oh my God. <gasps> I'm talking to someone on Facebook and I'm debating them and I'm going to comment and then they're going to comment and then I'm going to comment back. Uh-huh. And then like after that one, it became much less fun to, uh-huh. and it, it felt disconnected in a way that was like, you know, the nice thing about Instagram and t- well, not Twitter and Twitter is also a hell site. I mean, they're all hell sites, but, um, <laughs> but Instagram, I guess the thing that I like personally about it, I like a lot of things about it. One being that the artifice of the community and the discussion isn't pretending to be some kind of modicum of real life. 
mm. community and discussion. Yeah. Facebook kind of pretends to be this like we're connecting people and right. we're creating conversation. And then it's just like, you know, single moms on Facebook fighting each other and like people doing their mid-level marketing schemes <laughs> and like right. young college kids kind of throwing a lot of ideas at the walls, none of which are like necessarily bad. But but for me, it's like uh, I've, I've curated, you know, the, my Facebook friends and I don't post anything publicly on Facebook. So I'm not getting those like uh, fights with like totally. randos. Right. Um, so like anyone who's engaging with my Facebook posts are people who I've like chosen to be friends with on Facebook, whereas like yeah. on Twitter or Instagram, um, if it's public, it's sort of like anyone can engage. That's right. And so it feels less like a community to me because that anyone who's engaging, I'm not counting as part of my community, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think also the thing is that when I started Facebook, oh my God, is this so like, oh, like well, <laughs> I mean, it's like, I also wanted to ask you about social media because of Octet. Yeah. So I should, we can get there. But. I should also note, I realized I said single moms when I was doing a list of things. I meant suburban moms. There's nothing wrong with being a single mom. I just, well, there's also nothing wrong there's with nothing being wrong a suburban with, mom. There's nothing wrong with any of them. I just said it and I think I just, <laughs> um, yeah, no, social media is, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's the social media octet thing? Well, um, octet is a lot about um, the oh. way that we engage with the we internet. Should say that I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I have my tickets to go on the 15th, so Woo! no spoilers for me personally, and I'm so excited to see it. Yeah. But you guys already obviously know a lot about it, um, so don't let me hold you back. So <laughs> I, I think we can ask this without spoilers. Oh like, I'm, I guess what I'm curious is, like, <gasps> has doing this show affected the way that you use the internet? That's so funny because we've... That's on, the only consistent question we get from talkbacks. Of course. Is that. And actually, should we this time do an explanatory comma? Tell us briefly what Octet is about for our do listeners. Do you want to leave the room while he does it? Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, I'll say okay. like, without I'm just without with, for spoilers. Oh, okay. That's I, a way to talk about what the show's about with no Yeah. Spoilers. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's just um, it's a show about a group of people in a like technology addiction support group. Okay. Cool. <laughs> and I'll say that like as I was waiting for you after the performance I felt weird sitting there on my phone while I was waiting for you you know what I mean like yes yeah 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 well, yeah because you leave a show and the first thing you do is turn on your phone yeah mm-hmm. maybe you post to social media about having seen the show <laughs> <laughs> then you text your friends and then and then you check the time and then you scroll through your feeds mm-hmm. <laughs> so has so has working on the show affected? Your oh, relationship. Yeah, yeah. The question. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, sort of, but no. Okay. I think it's made me aware, but it's also, you know, the show, one thing I really like about it is it's definitely not uh, just like indictment of social media. Right. It uh, um, is, in my mind, an exploration of the good and the bad things and how it engages with predilection predil, predication preda, things we already are uh have um predisposed yeah predisposition like i have a predilection for chocolate ice cream is it predilection or predil i feel so dumb i Wait, tried to use is, a big this is a recurring theme on our podcast <laughs> yeah, we like a vocab corner predil 
Okay. I wow. have a predilection. The guy who is in a recording is sitting there knowing the answer to how to say this word and crying and laughing at me. Um, so, yes. So these things that, you know, like anxiety and depression were not new with social media, but I think it is worth asking and engaging with how social media might encourage those things or might complicate them or yeah. might uh, help soothe them. Mm. Yeah. My other question, because you're saying it was it was actually surprising to me to hear you say that, like, you feel like you have a really delicate voice yeah. because you're doing a two hour long acapella <laughs> musical. Yes. Um, yes. Um, well, <laughs> you know, OK, there's a couple parts to that. One is that um, I definitely feel like I have a very sensitive voice and part of it is you know, feelings aren't real all the time. Okay. She's an anxious girl. <laughs> um, and I can, we, well, we can talk about it later if you want, but I have uh, like a history with really, really awful reflux. Oh, and in okay. high school it caused this like vocal damage thing that like really kind of like traumatized me sure. in terms of like feeling like I had to be super delicate with my health. Yeah. But the other part of that is that I am a real bass and so few people write for basses. Mm -hmm. And so most of my career, I found myself singing stuff that is written slightly out of my range. Right. Or even if it's in my range, it like stays in the top third of it for the entire time. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so in order to do that stuff successfully, I kind of have to be like 100% healthy. Like, you know those days when you wake up and you're like, I feel amazing. Yeah. I can sing any note. Yeah. It's like you have to be in that place. Yeah. And if you are like slightly stuffed up or if you're like, uh, like if you didn't sleep enough hours last night, it's like, you're done. It's over. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the thing is, this show, I mean, Dave Malloy is, oh, he's a genius. He's one of my favorite people. I'm so obsessed with him. Dave Malloy is the writer. Sorry, I should say. Dave Malloy wrote the show, wrote the book, um, wrote the songs, and did all the arrangements for the songs. Um, so casual. <laughs> and he, um, he is really good at writing for different voices and knowing how to write for a way a certain voice sits. Um, so everything in the show is in my range. Honestly, like kind of for one of the first times ever in my career. Wow. And so even though it's a really intense thing and it's almost two hours long and I don't, I never leave the stage, it's like tiring in a way that feels um, like, a, like a tired I can kind of take on uh -huh. um, rather than like, oh God, I have to belt a G tonight. Is it going to sound horrible? Like that's, I'm freaking out about it. Um, yeah. As one of those composers who doesn't write a lot, for bass, what is yeah. like your ideal range? My ideal range, so a bass basically is most comfortable in any of the notes on the bass clef staff. Okay. Um, which would be about like an so F. So all the way down to, to like a G. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I feel like very comfortable in a low E and I go down to low Bs in this show. Um, wow. And then truly kind of everything above middle C is uh, hit or miss. I mean, <laughs> middle C is great. D, E flat is kind of like where we're getting into passaggio. Um, and so it just depends on like the vowel. And, they yeah. range though. Well, that's the thing is like I often feel very self-conscious and I feel like people have this idea that basses have a super small range. Yeah. And often the songs that you get when you're bass to work on um, 
are character baritone songs mm. where it's written for a baritone. He just doesn't have to sing as high as a baritone could. And so you're singing all these like older man character parts <laughs> and it still like feels a little out of your range <laughs> because it's all between like uh, uh, like an A below middle C or, or like an A or a B to like an E. Mm-hmm. And you're like, I can sing all these notes, but they're all just kind of like, you know, um, this is going to sound great on the pod. I'm it's sure. <laughs> um, so having the ability to um, sing lower and then, you know, it, I kind of consider it's like how you would write for an alto. Mm-hmm. Like a true alto is how you would write for me. Uh-huh. That makes sense. Do you? Ooh. Well, it's interesting to me to hear you say that this is the um, first time you really feel like you're like fully in your range on a show. Cause like that <laughs> to bring it back to that recording where we met, you were also doing like a true bass. Yeah. Cause we were doing like a four part harmony. Yes. I do a lot of those. Quartet thing. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> well, that's, the, I mean, that's, I shouldn't say the only show because they're definitely, um, I mean, like uh, ensemble tracks and, I mean, I've done the quartet in My Fair Lady. I've done the quartet in Music Man. Mm-hmm. There's, it's funny because there are a ton of basses in the world, and a lot of them, you look at the resume, and it's literally just like the same roles, the same huh. four or five shows that have quartets in them, done at every regional theater, just kind of like four or five times. Huh. Um, so that stuff is um, good, but often also, and, and and the Golden Age stuff like My Fair Lady, it, I shouldn't say I can't sing that. You know, that is all has ensemble parts for basses that are good. But often what you'll find, especially more contemporary ones, is that the bass track will do what I like to call the uh, townsfolk bass track, (laughs) where he like comes out in the middle of like the town number and is like, do, 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 Uh do. And then says that like, you know, there's nothing like like a little shop when it's like, then you go. Literally, (laughs) yes. I like literally at one point I had a list of all of them where just like, (laughs) Everyone's singing, and they come out, and they're like, I, I don't, okay, I'm, I just spoiled on South Pacific, but like, there's so many where they do it. But then the rest of the song is written super high. Yeah. Right. So it's like you're either lip syncing it or you're like, there is nothing like a day. Right. Right. Well, here's my question that I'm realizing like, I might have this totally wrong assumption because I'm thinking about why do I not usually write in a bass part? And I think it's yeah. because. I have this assumption that they're scarce in the population and that it's going to be hard for me to find a base. Mm -hmm. Is that true? Did I make that up? No. Okay. This is, I have so many thoughts about this because I hear that all the time. Um, And I actually, I didn't really, like I at one point was going to do, talking about social media, like going to do kind of like a Twitter campaign, basically like being sassy about people thinking that bases didn't exist and I definitely have a few still queued up in my drafts <laughs> um, but I I mean I don't actually know the numbers and at this point I've talked enough bullshit that I probably should just look up the numbers but I do <laughs> what think what database should you look in do you think those numbers exist I mean they've got to right um but the I, I bet proportionally they are a smaller number to baritones or tenors but oh my god I have so many thoughts okay but <laughs> One is that, and this happens a lot for lots of different kinds of people within the theater community, and so I think it's worth a bigger conversation too. When there are fewer opportunities, then people don't join 
the workforce mm. and then people think there are fewer people so they stop writing for them and then you just get this vicious cycle right. of fewer opportunities it's like i you know i always think about um my dad who is uh has a low voice and when he was really young liked to sing a lot and then when his voice changed people were like haha you can't sing and it's not that he couldn't sing it's just you know and this happened to me too because when you're a bass your voice changes earliest of mm. the boys and so suddenly everyone's singing these songs and you're cracking on all these notes that everyone else can kind of mm. still sing and so then you feel very self-conscious and then you're like i guess i'm a bad singer and then you don't matriculate into the field and then there aren't bass parts so you just assume that you're a bad singer because you can't sing the stuff that's out there like there's how many how many named roles in the musical theater canon are true basses right I can name them on one hand, you know? Yeah. And, and then they also were all it's written like, before a certain year. Yes. Right? Just for kicks, what are they? <laughs> well, it's like we have Judd. Mm-hmm. We, that but, was the one I thought of. <laughs> yes. I mean, Judd is, go Judd, you're classic. <laughs> but like, also there's all these ones like, like the plant in Little Shop has to sing mm-hmm. Hedges or right. Collins and Rent, you know? Right. When your heart has expired. Like that's, <laughs> that's not low. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, oh my God though. If what I'm, about, um. Uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. Okay, here's the thing. Caiaphas <laughs> goes from singing low E's? Is it E's or F's? Oh, I'm. But he goes down there and then jumps up two octaves for fools you oh. have no. <laughs> it's what I like to call the bass two octave jump. That's the mm. other thing you'll see. So there's the bass townsfolk oh person and the bass two octave jump where in a song someone's singing like in the bottom of their range and then for dramatic effect they literally jump up two full octaves to sing oh. the chorus up two octaves for the last oh. time. It happens all the time. Because the other thing is that a lot of musical theater writers don't know how to write dramatically unless it's at the top of someone's range. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you get this kind of like, oh, well, to make it sound fierce, then you have to go to the top of your passaggio. Which right, when counterintuitively, the place where they can give you the most power is like maybe a fourth below that. Exactly. <laughs> so the the thing I'm curious about is like, you're sort of already saying, but like, do you, like, cause like, as I look at your career, you, you've uh-huh. worked a lot, you know? Like, so do you, like, how, how does that reconcile with like, <laughs> not feeling like there are roles for you? You know what I mean? Like, totally. I mean, I, I think that's also part of the reason why I have the paranoia about my voice is mm. because I've put myself in situations where I'm like, okay, Alex, belt it up. But also I've gotten really lucky and worked with teams who are super open to working with individuals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the I am obsessed with the team um, from SpongeBob and Julian McBride, our, direct, or our music director allowed me to change a lot of the ensemble solo lines because I was a swing. Right. So I had to cover all the male tracks. Uh-huh. And almost, ev- like, so many people had their own songs in the show, but then there are also these group numbers where someone would stand and belt, like, one line. And I'm like, I can't sing that. <laughs> and so they would give me these alternate melodies that allowed uh-huh. me to do it. Which is, yeah. which, you know, in school, I completely to myself was like that would mean you're a failure if right have to rewrite absolutely the line. Yeah. Mm. that's what you get taught is yeah. like if you can't sing it in the original key like why bother oh my god i literally had so there's so many <laughs> i'm gonna say something mm. very polarizing mm. but there's so many bad music directors out there and so many ones that i worked with when i was younger who truly just thought 
they were going to like teach me a lesson. They'd be like, you have to belt this G. And I was like, I can't. And they're like, we're going to have to learn how to do it someday. So just do it now. Oh boy. And then I would crack horribly every time, feel awful about myself. Oh man. And so there's like, so I've been I'm very like having sympathetic anxiety <laughs> right now. <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, cause the other thing is then you're like, also like, um, when you have a lower voice, it takes longer for the voice to mature. So I'm still kind of definitely mid voice change in terms of like, it's not fully settled yet. Huh. Um, and so part of it is like, maybe I am just bad and I just should be better. And if I was better, I wouldn't have difficulty with the higher notes and da da da. Which is a tricky way to go through your career. But oh, also, man. I will also say, sorry, I talk so much. Oh, that's that's why we invited you. Literally, <laughs> putting me on a podcast is dangerous. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I had a really amazing time at NYU's in the new studio on Broadway. I loved my faculty there. It was an amazing place. And they really hammered home the idea of being an actor first. Uh-huh. And so this is all like drama I have every time I go through a musical or if there's something like that. But, you know, I've been lucky to do plays and do a lot of comedy stuff and, and do voiceover. Oh, my God. Wait, that was the other thing I was oh going to say. <laughs> okay. So the thing, sorry, this is a random thought. It just kills me because people often talk about how rare it is to find a bass. And then I go to these voiceover auditions hmm. and I'll be one of 20 guys sitting in a room and you just hear everyone being like, new to sunny water. Like kind of mumbling under their breath. And I'm like, there cannot be this many guys who can speak at this range, but just like for some reason are horrible singers. Right. Huh. You know? Okay, that was the other thought I had. Sorry, I'll let that go. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel I feel like I've truly learned something from this episode. I will think about this next time I am starting an ensemble. Yes. And need yeah. Yeah, it's also funny. Because it's true. I feel like, yeah, I guess, like, I haven't, I don't, like, I guess in my current stable of people I work with, I don't think I work with any true bases. So it's just, like, you sort of think of the, the people you know, and you're like, okay, like, this, like, this is sort of a Sam track, and this is, you know, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Absolutely. And also, I mean, I complain about bass stuff, but, like, think about, like, low altos. You know, like, contraltos are real. Mm, true. And so many times, uh, you know the ladies are asked they're just like well yeah. i'm assuming you can all sing every part like i've been yeah. in so many rooms where it's like okay you're all gonna just kind of do alto and soprano together and it's like some people are like just don't have yeah. that range <laughs> that i'm better with because i'm one of those people with like a one octave range and it's low yes. so i'm like <laughs> everything i write is still impossible but at least that one sometimes i have an alto track totally. i'm aware of its existence <laughs> well it's also like you get you gain so much from just like adding different textures mm-hmm. like yeah I, have you seen hadestown mm-hmm. yeah i was just thinking about her oh oh yes i mean okay so Hades wait town do you know who i'm ever- talking about yes i know because it's obviously about. patrick page but also, but also the one fade uh what is her name we should give her a shout out because she's so one of the fates there are these three fates and they mm-hmm. sing mostly together throughout the entire show but they all kind of like step forward and say a line and one is this gorgeous alto deep and it's just husky but it's like you hear i literally sat in that audience and heard people discover that these voices <gasps> existed yeah. for the first time and people like patrick page comes on and is like oh missed you and people like freak out because yeah. they've literally never heard that yeah and you're like composers you could have it so easy if you yeah. just like, you know, yeah. put forward something people are not used to. <laughs> it's right. so funny. I was just talking to a composer the other night about like, 
or no, I guess I was talking to director, I was talking to music director about how like people who are used to who are not used to hearing things orchestrated will sometimes lose their mind over like the presence of other instruments. Mm. And it's like it's such an easy trick. It's the same sort of thing. Like a new voice texture. What an easy way to have people lose their mind. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like y- you um you know, also when thinking about like how composers surround themselves, like contemporary like pop music doesn't have a lot of basses, but there are so many types of music that do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is my other argument whenever someone says basses are so rare, like almost every college acapella group has a bass. Yeah. You know, basses are consistently there in country music, in like folk standards, in mm. in lots of music from other parts of the world, you know. Um, But I think sometimes commercial theater gets so stuck on like, we are making a pop sound Mm -hmm. that they lose out on some ability to um, harness some of those other sounds. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because the other thing is like, as we're talking about, um, like, you know, getting to sing those alternate lines for SpongeBob or whatever, like the thing about um, working on a new show is that like the, the best part of it is being able to like sculpt it to the the people you have to work with yeah you know and i had worked on the song the song that i sing in octet um i mean i sing a lot of songs but the song is like my feature um i'd done workshops of the show and had been in this key and then right after we did the last workshop i had to sing it at a gala and i got really really sick right before and i was freaking out and i could barely do it and i was talking to dave and i was like can we take this song down a little bit just because i'd love like if I get sick to not have to freak out. And he's like, yeah, like pick a key, whatever one you want. And so he took it down a third for me. Yeah. So this, the version I do in the show is like a third down from hey. what I was doing in the workshops. And he's so cool with it. And it also now means that I literally don't have to start the show being like, oh, God, is, mm, ah, is it here? Is it right. here? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's like we do like get it banged into our heads that like it's not appropriate to ask for something <gasps> like that. I, but actually, yes. it's the most appropriate because all you're doing is trying to, like, co- collaborate to create the best product, and the best yes. version of it is going to be a third yeah. down. Yeah. Dave was literally—he's so cool. He was so supportive, and I, like, had a like shame spiral. Yeah. When I asked him, I literally was like, "Okay, this is more like for my therapist than it's for you," but like. <laughs> Because you feel like you failed, yeah. you feel like you're bad, you're incapable. You know, it's, yeah. it's you always want you always want to be the person who can give them what they're asking for. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a pretty normal feeling, I think. But then, but then at the same time, we have to be collaborators. Yeah. You know, we have to say like the the best way that I'm going to be able to offer you what you're asking me to do is if we make this modification. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And relatively speaking, it's such an easy modification. Yeah. Yeah, but like the shame spoiler you're talking about, oh I had God. when I was asking you for the same thing for the first time. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so you, that you being oh Julia. <laughs> I'm pointing at you. Um, yeah, that was pretty smooth. And it, yeah, it was the same thing where she was like, yeah, cool. Like, how about a whole step down? But like, was, was, like, a, that's was a part perfect. of you like, damn it, Sam, I shouldn't have asked you to do this. No. No part of me was like that. Because <laughs> I feel like that's definitely what we actors hear yeah. like before we think about asking. Or at least it's what we fear. Yeah. yeah. Th- the other fun thing, like, okay, I cannot tell you how many stupid people over time have told me I should sing Old Man River. <laughs> like, oh, my God. I, those conversations are always dense. But 
you know, being a younger guy and being gay and like, I like to do comedy kind of is like my favorite uh, genre to work in. That creates this whole thing because so many times when people hire me to be the bass, Mm. they want me to be like, oh yes, yes, all the townsfolk here love that Marion Hill, you know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This sort of sense of gravitas. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they kind of, and it's like not all sopranos talk like Christian Chenoweth, so Mm -hmm. why would all basses talk like James Earl Jones? Right. Um, And so getting to bring in this show, like I'm still singing my range, I'm still a bass, but I get to talk like this, and I'm I'm like not encumbered by that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because then people come up after the show and they're like, oh, so you're like the baritone, right? And I'm like, actually, I'm a bass. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're singing way higher. And I'm like, no, nope, didn't sing above any flat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's really hard for people to reconcile that within their minds. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. This is just sort of a technical thing. But yeah. I am, since I haven't seen it yet, you mentioned like in the earpieces, just like how how the sound for the show works. Yes. I mean, it's crazy. So we actually get very little information from the earpieces. We um, and we don't have anyone playing live. There's no live conductor. Uh, it's just some of the songs require click tracks to keep us all together, oh, and okay. it's also we spread out on the stage. And those are the times where it's like, if you're spread out and I need to hear the like alto two part to know my note, I might have her up in my mix a little bit more. Oh, and sometimes we get like tones before the song starts because. Oh, of course, yeah, because otherwise you have to anchor everything to the one before and who knows what's between. Well, we we have this thing where we play pitch pipes in the show, and Ah. the pitch pipes give us our note before each song. But and pinch pines, as we found, have Uh. been a little irregular. (gasps) Whoa! And so yeah, you know, they're just like open to failure, I guess. And (laughs) and some sometimes they're right on, and sometimes you play your note and you're like, and then you hear in your head the tone is like. <laughs> and you're like, okay, good, good, good to know that that's what I'm actually following. Oh, so wow. that's really helpful because we rehearsed it all acoustically and we were in the rehearsal room doing it. And so like we know how to do it just based off of each other. But when you get a pitch and you start from there and it's like that was what was happening is if we were starting out too flat or sharp, it's like if Adam is singing like a low B flat in the song and we go flat, like mm. – <laughs> That's low. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or, or someone is, you know, on the top of their range. You just don't want to push them up too much. Yeah. yeah. Do you, is it, is having the click helpful and freeing or does it feel constraining? Um, it really depends. And it really depends on the song. Um, I play drum for a moment in this show. Mm. There's like, oh my God, all these spoilers. <laughs> but uh, mm. there's a moment of it. And like, I am very glad I have a click because I'm not... Uh, too well trained as a percussionist um and so that helps keep me on track or like certain things it's really helpful and then you know some songs like the song i do is very rhythmically heavy but we don't get any click information and it's Mm -hmm. nice to be able to just kind of like start and be like here we go yeah i'm so excited to see it (laughs) yeah it's 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 a really fun time yeah it's it's a beast (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's also cool to be, um, I mean, it's just so cool to be, like, in New York doing, like, a new yeah. show at the Signature. Yeah. Um, feels really special. Yeah. Should we ask? I feel like this is, like, a standard question for us, but I feel like we're always asking people, like, what drew you to New York, and how did you, like, get involved in that Ooh. part of the world? Ooh. <laughs> um, well, 
I guess. So this was actually, I think part of the thing with new work was it felt like a survival skill for the base stuff. Because mm. if people didn't know bases existed, that was my chance to do it from the ground up. <laughs> And like literally meet composers and be like, I'm a person, please keep that in mind if you're ever <laughs> writing a voice. Um, but also at NYU, there's the NYU Graduate Musical Theater Writing Program. And I was at the new studio on Broadway and we were the first year of that program. Um, and so while I was there, they had this class where we would work with the Graduate Musical Theater writers and we would get to try out new songs they were working on. Um, and that's where I got to work with a lot of people. And it's like, oh. I really, really like this. Because you also realize that, like, so many writers are people. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and I grew up just, you know, watching all of Broadway's classic PBS specials, right. like, in suburban Wisconsin. And you hear about all the greats, and you're like, oh, my God, these people are untouchable. <laughs> Which, you know, some are. But also, like, so many people are just, like, people trying to figure it out. and. Yeah and building their sense of what they like and how they do stuff. And I, I feel like I'm a good person at giving, you know, constructive feedback. And it, it is, it's, it, it's also nice because working on new work, tell me if you think I'm right time on this, but it takes your ego out of it partly because you realize you're literally there to help the piece. Oh yeah, totally, completely. So it like doesn't, you know, I'll, and I did so many parts where it's like, they just needed a voice for this. I could never actually do this role. Like, mm -hmm. you know, so it's, it's like, great. I don't, I don't need to be like, oh God, I hope this is my next job. It's literally just like, yeah, let's hear how this song sounds on a different voice. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, I totally get that. Cause you're there. Like, like if the, like the express purpose of a production is to like put up a good production and like have every, every one of the elements mm -hmm. be wonderful. But the express purpose of like a reading or a workshop is to like figure out if the show works. Yeah. And so you're not there in service to like yourself to like shine as a performer. You're there in service to the piece. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes if someone's too good, it can actually hurt the piece. Hmm. Because they're, cause they're making things that shouldn't work work. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's like maybe me cracking on their song helps. Because <laughs> then they... And they're like, oh... Yeah, we can't have that note. Yeah, or yeah. even if they like need the note. Like so many times I've been in workshops where someone's just like the best singer in the world and you're like, "Oh my god, this sounds so amazing." But like no one's going to no one else is going to be able mm, to sing right. this. Which is fierce for them if they're looking for a job, but like sometimes yeah, with new work you just need to like kindly and gently point out what isn't working. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, let me ask you as a writer, like, do you, would you, do you prefer to hear someone point out, like, I'm not sure if this is working or do you prefer to sort of like see the picture and decide for yourself? You yeah. know what I mean? Or is it a mix? I think it depends on the context. Yeah, sure. And maybe even a little bit on my relationship with the person. Oh, yeah. Oh. Like, I think if I know, I mean, I do think like with the Kantian imperative, if I'm doing a show with 12 people and every one of those 12 people is daily telling me something that they think is not working, <laughs> I could see that like get overwhelming. Yes. Oh, sure. And sure. I think that there is sometimes a thing if something is brand new where like at first a lot of stuff isn't working and you know it and you sort of need to just like see it happen with all its not working pieces yep. uh -huh. to like sort of learn something. So if someone's coming to you, you're like, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I do think especially maybe like 
after an iteration of a process has happened, especially if it's someone who I know and trust who I think is on the same wavelength for what the piece is trying to do, mm -hmm. then that's more welcome. Yeah, totally. And I also, I guess I should say, I don't often mean that as like telling. Right, <laughs> right. Like right. not being like, excuse me, Measure 73 is not cute. But <laughs> I've, I've definitely seen that happen in rooms too. That's real. Where yeah. a performer is like, I'm not able to make this work. I think it needs to be changed. Yes. You know what I mean? I, and I, so I guess what I mean more <laughs> is just taking the pressure off yourself to make it the best thing ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's like, okay, I feel like this is something I've learned with dates a lot. It's like first dates, oh, what drama. <laughs> oh, boys. But first dates can be rough. And I was getting into a lot of trouble because I would constantly be like, oh, God, there's a lull. Like, okay, you say something funny and do this. And like, oh, God, and that went well. Mm -hmm. But I learned later it's actually better sometimes if you just let the thing be the way it is. Because then if you're like, I don't want a second date, they're not like, what? They're like, <laughs> yeah, I felt that too. You know, <laughs> like, which is okay. Like, sometimes yeah. you just got to let the thing not work if it's not working. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's interesting though because I'm wondering if people are always both with the theater scenario and the date scenario yes. how often both parties are agreed about whether it's working or not oh, mm. oh my gosh tell me more yes. <laughs> well like I definitely like I feel like I've definitely like been in rooms in theater stuff where you sort of like like what someone's doing and think it is working and then in retrospect they were like oh I really struggled with that you know like I mm -hmm. think that was hard to do and in dates, I feel like it's obvious. I've definitely been on both sides of the, like, that wasn't your ideal thing. Yeah. Like, oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. so sad. It's okay. I got married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> same, 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 same. Um, but my thing for the, um, like, like the, the selfless part of, like, working on new work is real. But the selfish part is also real. Because, like, uh -huh. sometimes it's scary to let something just be what it is if it's if it's not working because the worry is then that people watching it are like oh sam couldn't make something like sam totally. wasn't good enough to make that work yeah and like selfishly because like a lot of my jobs have come from someone seeing me in a reading or you know working with the same writer or whatever and so like i never want to be in a place where i'm giving anyone an opportunity to say that moment didn't work. Was it because Sam couldn't make it work? You know what I mean? Totally. Um, I so it is like a balance. In the other end, that is like a learning thing. Because like once you know, like someone who knows you, like That's I true. can truthfully say, I don't think I've ever seen you do something and be like, oh, that doesn't work. Yeah. But if I did, I think I'd be like, oh, if Sam can't make this work, it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and I guess that's the thing is like most people who I'm probably going to want to be working with are going to understand that distinction. Mm -hmm. And and anyone who's going to watch it and assume that it's because I was a bad performer is maybe not in the same mindset of someone I want to be collaborating with. Totally. So maybe I can let that go and just let those people go in my head, <laughs> you know? <sighs> yeah. Oh, but it's, it's hard. So tricky, though, but it's too. hard. <laughs> yeah, especially when you're working with new workers. Workers? <laughs> workers. <laughs> especially when you're working on new work. Yeah. Um, you know, you want to maintain your connections with people, and yeah. you kind of never know where the next thing's coming from. Yeah. So, and that's, I think, 
I'd kind of tie not to tie it back, but mm. you know, when we're talking about that anxiety earlier with like, yeah. how have you done all this stuff so far then if you've been freaked out the entire time and you're like, well, <laughs> that's how I learned to operate. It's like, mm. and now like kind of a big life thing is trying to let some of that go mm. and not feel like you have to be on guard all the time just yeah. in order to get by. Yeah. Cause I've been thinking, that's the thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is like, even when, <laughs> even when I'm in a rehearsal room for like, it's sort of like the production now. So like, it's theoretically the end of the line. I'm not like, I'm not in the rehearsal room trying to get the next job because I'm in this job. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm still sometimes not like, and I'm still sometimes thinking like, but this person could hire me for the next job. Mm-hmm. And so like in the rehearsal room, I don't want to like, um, you know, like the, it's important to like fail in the rehearsal room, right? Because yeah. you're trying to create the show. And so you have to see what doesn't work. So you can figure out what works and like to try a bunch of different things. And like, I've always been scared to like, let someone see me fail. And so I feel like probably in the past, I've like very much like hindered like the potential of my performance by mm. not exploring all of those things in rehearsal. Cause I was nervous yeah. to, show anyone that I could fail. But the most important thing to do in a rehearsal room is to fail. Yes, <laughs> preach. <laughs> I'm like I'm like pounding my my hand in, in here and you can't see. Gavel. But like but it but it, it's so counterintuitive, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, also like oh god, I start every sentence. Well, also like um but well also like I think we also (laughs) we underestimate sometimes how powerful vulnerability is and that vulnerability isn't just the cute version of vulnerability. Hmm. Right. You know, there's the vulnerability where it's like, I'm so sad, (laughs) but in a packageable way, you know, easily digestible sad. There's cute vulnerability, which is like, we know this is going to end well. And then there's like raw vulnerability, which is a little like scary, scary. Mm -hmm. And it can be scary to do, but because yeah, then you're like, they're never going to hire me again. This person's going to think I'm bad. I'm going to crack on the high note and the big number. Cause you are, cause you are going to crack on the high note. Oh, I did several times, (laughs) (laughs) but that's because you're on this journey of like figuring out what this thing all is. Yes. You know, and now the thing, the thing that this conversation is bringing up for me is like, are there people who, because they're not seeing me fail, are like saying like, oh, yeah, like he's fine, but he's not quite there yet. You know what I mean? Like totally. is, is failing like a marker for some people that like, oh, that's a person I really want to work with because I can see them exploring. And you know what I mean? Huh. Like, yes. So maybe if I keep that in my head, yeah. it'll give me more permission. Yes. It's so funny that your way to get more permission is, but what's another way that they could think badly of me? <laughs> they could think badly well, of me. Well, I guess I guess what I have to do is sort of decide for myself which is the worst worst scenario. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Because yeah. like, because ultimately, what I want to do is like give the best performance I can. And like, what I'm starting to realize is like the way to do that is to somewhere along the way give the worst performance I can. Exactly. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? I okay. You, uh, I do you know Kolaskola? Uh I'm familiar. He's incredible. One of my favorite comedians, yeah. and he uh, does this show at the Duplex, or he used to do. Uh, he does. Yeah. Anyways, um, it's so funny. 
And the first time I saw it, every sketch like landed. People were freaking out. Funniest show I've ever seen. Second show I saw, still very good, but there's one sketch that like really didn't land. <laughs> and I'll never forget it because it was, you know, live audience, like all these people had paid and come and he did it. And in the transition, he went, well, they don't all work. I'm not <laughs> sad. And like yeah. continued on to the next one. That wasn't exactly what he said, but he said something of like, yeah. whatever. And it was like, oh, shit. If I could access that freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. You do could you do think anything. he really felt that or do you think? Yeah. <sighs> it seemed very genuinely like he registered like it just didn't land yeah. as yeah. amazingly as the last well, few Well, that's the thing about I watched this um, this documentary series on Amazon Prime called Inside Jokes, which is about it's like five or six um, comedians who got selected for like the new like fresh faces showcase at like this big fancy comedy festival in Toronto. Um, and so it was just following them as they were preparing um, the material they were going to present in their set at this festival. Uh-huh. Um, and so you get to see, and you know, it's like, you know, you see them in real life, but you also see a bunch of footage of them doing stand-up, and you see them doing the same exact joke in different settings. Yep. And in some settings, it goes over like gangbusters, and in others, like no one cares. Yeah. And like to have that, um, to have that just be a part of your career and like have that be normal, mm-hmm. like would be, I think re- like, and, and it's probably <laughs> the same thing for Cole cause he's like comedian first, right? Like, yeah. yeah like, I mean, I don't know. Cole, if you're listening, I think you're great. <laughs> I hope I didn't misrepresent anything. You're so cool. Um, <laughs> like to have that just be a part of the process of what it is to, yes. to generate what you're doing. Yes. Yeah. Seems and so it's hard wonderful. It seems like comedy, even more so in some ways, depending on what kind of material you do, could feel so personal. Yeah, and totally. And to me, it seems yeah. like sort of separating your identity from the work is like part of the idea of being okay with yeah. like failure. And and to release yourself from being so product based, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially because in theater, as opposed to the other mediums, you know, it is constantly evolving. And if you're just thinking like. As a, it as a product, you're kind of freezing it in a way which yeah. is mm. it, unnatural to the form. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and also like, I I think you can never underestimate people's ability to want to watch you grow. Like I, mm. the, the when I talk to kids who are graduating, I say, screw you. No, I say, <laughs> I say, I say don't come here. <laughs> I say run, run fast, run now, leave while you can. Um, no, I say. I don't say anything. I don't talk. To, this is in my mind when I talk to kids. But, um, this is like, your hypothetical commencement speech. Yes. Dear class of 2027, it's me. Um, but this is the best time for them to try stuff. If they put out a comedy video and it doesn't work, whatever. If they go to an audition and they like fail, you know, it doesn't matter. I, I imagine perhaps like you know Sun Foster someone might feel a little more pressure at this point you know if you're gonna put something out like it Mm -hmm. has to be well received if you're just starting out no one cares no one's paying enough attention to you yes so fail fail now yeah and then you'll be amazed how many people be like oh yeah I saw like I've done so many auditions that were really bad and then maybe I didn't get seen by them for a little bit and then like a year or two later I come in and and then it's like, oh, great. I've grown. I've gotten better. You mm. see that I've grown, and now I might be right for this thing. Yeah. I like that. That's wonderful. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the day, 
like we're all gonna die you know what i mean <laughs> like we're all gonna die the earth might burn up like theater is lovely but it's theater yeah i try and let that when that tries to overwhelm me i try and let it be a comforting thing it's like do you know the vin sky pony oh well yes. you're a spongebob person yeah oh my god yeah the, that their anthem everyone mm-hmm. will die and it makes me feel better yeah yeah have you, have you gotten to see so continuity i haven't gotten to see continuity yet okay. i hear really good things it's wonderful oh yeah but yeah. it's so if you haven't seen it, I won't tell you why I brought it up. <laughs> I'll go see it. I'll report back. We'll do an addendum. Okay, great. <laughs> a mini episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I'm curious, just because I think I think also from reading your website and hearing you talk a little bit about it, that you are a comedy person as well as a musical theater person. Uh-huh. Do you feel like your involvement in those two fields feed each other or inform the way that you think about what you're doing in them? Oh, yeah. I mean, they definitely inform each other. I think I got my start really in improv. And it's part of the reason why, for now, oh, God, I'll say it. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I feel like emotional, like, truth is overrated for actors. I think. Mm. Wait, what do you mean by that? (laughs) It's like, um, I'm a very, like, outside-in actor. Like, I love kind of making the form, making the shape, and then letting everything fill up through that. Gotcha. This is sort of like a David Mamet philosophy, right? No? I don't know. I just remember that one book that I read like a million years ago about it being like, you don't have to feel the thing, you just have to show the thing. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that sounds familiar. I'll sign on to that. (laughs) But it's like, and of course this isn't right for everything, but I guess in improv, you kind of constantly have two minds going. One that's in the scene and doing it, and then one that's thinking, okay, what's happening in the scene? What's the next move? Like, what information am I getting from this person? Um, And it's a really fun thing for me to exercise that muscle because it is kind of antithetical to a lot of what you get taught in acting school hmm. where you just, just have to be receiving information and just reacting. Mm-hmm. And so I've always thought about it that way. And also like comedy, especially in theater is my favorite because it's literally math. Um, like under understudying Gavin Lee in SpongeBob was one of my favorite things. Cause I watched that show mm, upward of a hundred times, <laughs> you know, uh, to do all my tracking. But when I, got to watch his scenes and his like joke landing it really is like it was a master class every night because you're like okay he's sensed out the audience he's felt them do this thing and so he knows if he does a plus b and then holds an extra three seconds he'll get this much of a reaction and it's like that is really counterintuitive to me to hear comedy is math that is the oh really to me comedy feels so like personal and organic and touchy feely. That's so part of the reason I love comedy is because it's like, and it's I think part of the reason why you see so many studios hiring comedians to be the leads of their TV shows and like you know like Aquafina. I was just talk, think, think, thinking mm-hmm. about um, Crazy Rich Asians, like Aquafina, who has this kind of like specific personality yeah. and this online presence, and they're like, yeah, come like be one of the feature stars in our movie. I don't think it's because they were looking for the most like emotional integrity. Not that she doesn't have that acting ability. She has proven herself to be a very good actor. But it's like what she knows how to do is to add this to this to yeah. this, and that lands the laugh. Yeah, and I think like I think I'm gonna like put one foot in both camps here because I think it is math, but I also think you have to have a certain sort of like intuition mm-hmm. in order to like figure out how to do the math. 
Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I agree there's definitely a precision to it. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm referring to when I talk about this kind of second brain that you're using when you are doing the scene. Because it is there's this constant thing and it can get really dangerous for actors because that's the thing that's like, oh my God, you might fuck up. They might not like you. <laughs> Do you look stupid right now? But it's like you can turn that voice to from being an evil parrot on your shoulder to be the helpful like, oh great, oh they're listening. Okay, so if I turn my head right now, the laugh, and then I'm going to pause, and then I land the beat on this moment. Yeah. And that's, I, for me, I find more, not more, just as much truth in that than yeah. you know, going out and sobbing yeah you know what's interesting this is this is so random <laughs> but i remember um bring it on the musical uh, how could you forget I, oh my god well, it's so of course i remember bring it on the musical but what i'm saying is um <laughs> i saw it twice within one week yes um it was it was before i came to broadway when i was on tour and i was like home for the holidays and so i went with my mom and i went with my dad where are you from again san francisco okay yeah, yeah. um and uh like within the same week like both of them were like how about we see bring it on and i was like yeah let's do it <laughs> um and the first one was an audience full of like cheerleading groups oh, like yeah. so it was like they were like screaming shrieking like loving the show and like the um the actors were like getting buoyed up to that like energy mm -hmm. pitch right like they were just like giving this like super high octane energy um performance and it was electric it was so electric and then when i came back a couple of days later um the audience was pretty um they just weren't vocal right so they weren't giving the actors as much and so their performances became like smaller and more um, on a human scale, mm -hmm. which was like another like completely valid way to watch uh -huh. the show. Yeah. And it was fascinating to see that both of these things completely worked. And it was because they were getting calibrated to like yeah. the last cast member, which is like the audience. Yeah. Right. Um, it's bas it, it's almost like that under the understudy for the audience is on today, so we have to adjust <laughs> our performances. Literally push them, shove with love, right? Shove that audience, right? Um, so to hear you say that about like it, the 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 math of comedy, but also like with that intuition mm -hmm. as you're watching, like how the audience is engaging that day. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, Carol Channing is one of my faves. <laughs> Carol Channing and Eartha Kitt are probably my top divas. Ooh. Wait, oh my God, who are your top divas? Oh, oh I mean, for me, it's only Carol Channing. Okay. I'm not a big diva person. But oh, yeah. Okay, 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 cool. <laughs> noted, noted. But yeah, there's TBD something. For me. There's I something would say, about. I don't. I don't think on this thread. There's something about Carol that's just otherworldly it truly oh my god i love i just and talk about you know talk about writing for a voice mm -hmm. that like adds its own texture yeah. mm -hmm. but oh i do love pearl bailey too i don't know oh. if she counts as a diva yes i mean but yes yeah her, that, that was the recording the hello dolly recording i listened oh. to growing up well have you seen carol channing and pearl bailey live on broadway oh yes because it's everything it's <laughs> it's so I there there's the performance of her um doing Mac the Knife on the Dina Shore show. Oh, I haven't seen it. Dina Shore show? Dinah? Dinah Shore. Dinah Shore. Her name her name is Dinah Shore. <laughs> no, that's not real. Wait, that can't real. be real. I never I, put that together before. I literally thought it was Dina Shore because Dinah Shore sounds like a draggly name. Yeah. I should have <laughs> rude to her legacy. Is she alive? 
Oh, I don't know. Oh, this is a disaster. But I was going to say, <laughs> that, that would be a great drag name. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> Except Dinah that it's Shore. a real person's Dinah name. Dinah Shaw. <laughs> um, anyways, but they do Mac the Knife. Oh, it's everything. You must look it up. Oh, wow. Um, but wait, the thing about Carol is, you know, and I consider her one of the last great vaudevillians. Yeah. Is you see she stands up there. And she just knows exactly what moment to land each thing. Yeah. And she's not giving you, you know, Meryl Streep. But in a way, it's, it's better because it's, it doesn't. Mm, this but she does, like, fully inhabit what she's doing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's just like this, um, it doesn't have the artifice of needing to pretend to be, quote unquote, real. Right. It's inhabited, but it's not real in that yeah. way. It's like the difference between Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> That's all, Rob. <laughs>